Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. I want to talk to you tonight, uh, I believe, from the hand of the Lord, and I am 100% convinced the devil, the enemy, does not want me to talk about this. Uh, First of all, I know that he doesn't, just by virtue of what the Lord has helped me to learn through the years about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy and their being opposed to one another. The devil hates God and everybody that loves God, doesn't he? Actually, he hates everybody that doesn't love God so much that he doesn't want them to know God. And uh, another reason I know the devil doesn't want me to teach this tonight is because I did something I haven't done in a long time. This evening, I left the house without my notes and um, got to church before I discovered it. Now, that hadn't happened to me in a long time, and uh, it's great living five minutes from the church when that happens, isn't it? So I had to get, go back home and look for them, and I couldn't find them. I looked and looked and looked. I don't know how long I looked. Finally, I, I ran to... Uh, my files and just thumbed through in about 30 seconds and picked out something from the past and thought, well, I'm not going up there without anything. And I thought I'd look one more time in one more room that I'd already looked in four times. And lo and behold, there they were, rolled up. My notes rolled up. I usually put them in a manila folder. They were rolled up and, uh, well, God, you must want me to teach this after all. And he said, I do. I'm going to talk to you tonight about revival, and um, it's going to be a two-parter. Tonight, I'm going to talk about revival, and next week, the Lord willing, if he'll allow me in circumstances, uh, dictate that as well. I'm going to talk about a sister topic, the harvest, revival and harvest. Tonight, we're going to start with Revival. Brother Terry, if you'd give us the first slide. The title for tonight is Anticipating Revival. And um, I need to talk about just what both of them are because revival and harvest are not the same thing. They are, however, closely connected to one another. One breeds the other. Harvest comes out of revival. At least that's God's Plan. There can be harvesting that takes place. And I'm talking about the church. Uh, next week, when I talk about the harvest, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the law of sowing and reaping and how that in the natural, the, the sowing and reaping of the harvest and the things pertaining to the harvest parallel closely that in the spiritual realm or the church, the world that we live in, and God's desire to save everybody through the ministry of his church. But tonight we're just going to talk about um, revival uh, uh, exclusively or, or mainly. But let me just first say, as I said a moment ago, there can be harvesting take place without revival. We, we see that. We see that in this church practically, uh, well, pretty often. You know, we have a harvest of such. Uh, it's not very great. Right now, it hadn't been for the last few years. There have been times 
of great harvest in this church. Anytime there's a great harvest, it, it comes out of revival. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. Only revival brings the true harvest that God wants to give his church. Let me put it in plain terms. Revival is about us. It's about the church. It's about the lost too. We want the city of Mount Vernon to have revival. Revival, I guess in a nutshell, you could put it like this. It's getting close to God. It's becoming what God wants you to become. Uh, It's not just getting in right relationship with God. It's getting in the groove that God has designed for every single individual in his kingdom, in his family, and every local church, every church body, I believe every organization of apostolic churches. It's being in the will of God as far as living for God and being close to God. And uh, there are some aspects about revival that I'm going to uh, go over tonight. Some may be new to you, some Maybe things you already know just be, will be a reminder. But God wants revival for his church anytime and every time that it's needed. Anytime and every time that the church is not on fire for God. God wants every individual. He wants you and I, every one of us, to be on fire for him. He wants this church to be on fire for him. He wants every local church to be on fire for God, full of the Holy Ghost power and anointing and other things that are in revival that I'm going to talk about tonight. So let's talk about revival, and then the next time we'll talk about an outgrowth of revival, and that is the harvest. Revival happens to the church mainly, and then it spreads into the community and becomes a harvest. Harvest is where new people come into the church. So uh, you see the difference between revival and harvest. People have interchanged those two words down through the years, and they're not really the same. They are different, but they are very similar, and they go together. For two years, from 1901 to 1902, faithful believers in the tiny nation of Wales prayed. Suddenly, the Welsh people were electrified by the presence of the Lord. In just one month, 34,000 were saved in Wales. Now, I'm not sure what the word save here means, the exact definition of the author's uh, in his mind for the word save, but we'll just let it leave it at that. One Christian publication commented, it is not a question of one town being awakened, but of the entire principality being on fire. God touched Wales in response to prayer. Prayer was spirited, passionate, and mighty. The man in one town formed a, quote, get out of the bed brigade. This is the men. They prayed for God to wake men out of their beds and bring them to the prayer meeting. This is early in the morning so they could get saved. Within an hour, men awoke mysteriously, got up and went down to the church to get saved by the power of God. Wouldn't that be something uh, if we men started having a men's prayer meeting early morning and uh, We prayed that prayer, and men showed up and got the Holy Ghost during prayer meeting. Wow. Church attendance rose by 90%. Church membership jumped to 75% of the population. And in some places, it was as high as 90%. The London Times said it was something from another world. And indeed, that's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Revival is something from another world. 
And it all starts with prayer. In 1904, Wales needed revival perhaps more than many places on earth. Poverty-stricken Wales was a struggling mining region enveloped by darkness, profanity, immorality, and greed. Though ignored by the general populace, the church of that day was already praying in earnest. Prayer had begun in 1901, an article we just read. And by 1902, 2,000 prayer groups had formed all over the tiny little country of Wales with its population of a million and a half people. Qualified ministers like G. Campbell Morgan, F.B. Myers, and Gypsy Smith were all there with potential to lead a revival. But God did not choose to use these men in the Wales revival. Brother Terry, would you come and turn this monitor around for me, brother? Help save my voice a little bit. Instead, the Holy Spirit anointed a 25-year-old unknown Welsh coal miner by the name of Evan Roberts. Probably no other single person in modern history was so instrumental in the move of God as Roberts. Evan worked, uh, Evan Roberts had worked 12 hours a day from the age of 12 as a coal miner, while his young peers consumed their work breaks with swearing, smoking, drinking, and chewing, he removed himself from their company to read the Bible. For 13 years, Evan Roberts had prayed for a move of God's Spirit. Every time the church doors were open, thank you, brother, this young man was there on the front row. One year prior to the revival that flooded Wales, the Spirit of God broke through and washed over this young man. He prayed so loud and so hard that his landlady kicked him out of his apartment. Here was his prayer. Bend me, bend me, bend me, O Lord. This young man was willing to pay the price. He sold everything he had to pay the bills. He even tried to pay others for the opportunity to preach. Wow, imagine that. I can't imagine going to somebody and saying, I'll pay you to let me preach in your church. That's what he did. But the doors were closed to him until he went to his own pastor and asked, would you let me preach here? At first, the pastor said no. But Evan kept begging until the pastor finally said, if you are willing to stay after service this Wednesday, and if anyone stays, you can preach to them. Wow, what a way to start for a young preacher. He agreed. Seventeen people stayed. He started by saying, I have a message from God. A man with a message from God can shake the world. Robert's message was simple. His message was concise. His message was anointed. Here's what it was. Number one, you must confess every known sin to God and make right every sin known unto man. Two, you must remove doubtful habits from your life. Talking about revival. Number three, you must obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Number four, you must go public with your witness for Jesus Christ. When he finished his message, all 17 people fell to their knees weeping before God. In just a few weeks, every church building in Wales was packed and hundreds were standing on the outside desiring to be inside. Because Evan Roberts prayed, fasted, and sought God. He had a vision in 1904 
that the revival would see 100,000 people saved in Wales and would literally sweep around the world. He was loudly ridiculed and scorned by religious leaders. Nevertheless, within five months, the revival added 100,000 people to the church. The revival moved on to England and Ireland. The church added more than a million people to its roles, and at least that many more were reportedly saved. This was from 1904 to about 1907. The revival swept through Central Europe, Norway, and Scandinavia. It spread down to Africa and India, through China, and into Korea. Remember, this was at the same time coincided exactly with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the United States, beginning in Topeka, Kansas, and then the Azusa Street Revival that we've talked about. And it, it spread across the United States. This was God initiating the latter rain, which is the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost and salvation before the return of the Lord. I said it spread to China and Korea. Healings, visions, signs, and wonders such as those recorded in the book of Acts were witnessed throughout the revival. Incidentally, Korea is the only nation moved by this revival which has kept pace with the momentum of 1904. That includes the U.S. Let me tell you why Korea is different today from the United States. Reports say that at the turn of the century in Korea, only 1% of Koreans were even nominal Christians, while today, one in two Koreans profess Christ. Now, they may not be Pentecostal. They may not be apostolic, although the Pentecostal movement, the Holy Ghost talking in tongue movement in Korea, South Korea, is astronomical and has been for several decades now. The revival that began in 1907 continued and still continues today in Korea. Some of the largest churches in the world are in the city of Seoul, Korea. A preacher said this, uh, I was invited to Seoul, Korea to speak to Dr. Paul Cho. Uh, has anyone ever heard of Paul Cho? I've read several of his books. A uh, Korean young man that now pastors probably the largest spirit-filled church in the world in South Korea and Seoul. He said, I was invited to speak to Dr. Cho's 47,000 deaconesses and 3,000 deacons. Wow. So you got 50,000 deaconesses and deacons and 47,000 of them were women, 3,000 men. I'll have to look into that. They took me up to Prayer Mountain, which is something that I've read about many times before. Dr. Paul Cho established in his church many years ago, decades ago, where people could go to pray. Where an auditorium that seats 10,000 people was filled and an overflow crowd gathered in the basement. Everyone was on his knees praying and crying out to God. Why is Korea in revival? One author asks, he writes, the answer is simple, prayer. Prayer has literally built the largest church in the world. Had there been no extraordinary prayer, there wouldn't have been an extraordinary awakening in Wales that spread around the world, including Korea. And by the way, there wouldn't have been an awakening of extraordinary consequence in the United States as well if it were not for prayer. I'll come back to that in a moment. John Wesley said this, quote, It appears that God will do nothing except in response to people's prayers. Amen. So what about revival? What happens when a church 
is revived, when a local church experiences revival. Well, there's one word that comes to mind. Revival absolutely revolutionizes a church. Real revival stores, restores, notice the word restore, revival. The root word is revive. That means a bringing back something that once was and is gone. It's a level of discipleship, a level of personal relationship with God. That's true in an individual's life, and it's true in a church's uh, spiritual health and well-being. So this renewing, that's what revival is, it brings a church from being subnormal or below normal, normal being what God wants it to be. Uh, it, it, it brings it from barely making it to something greater. It brings it from so many saints living from service to service instead of being on fire like God wants us to and just uh, going out from the service and being a light in the community and burning so brightly for God that people around them notice and their lives are changed. And it, it brings a renewal and an anointing and an awareness really more than anything else, that the church isn't ours. We don't own it. We can't make it work the way it's supposed to. It's God. He bought and paid for it with his blood at Calvary. He owns it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, is what Jesus said. So this church, including this local assembly, is an, organized, uh, an organization that's that's owned and energized and empowered only by and through God. Uh, when I became a pastor 29 years ago, I had just been introduced to the concept of the subject. You can call it a subject. I've been to many seminars and read probably 100 books or more on the subject of leadership. And how important it is in any organization, including a church. And the church world, Christianity, has been filled with dozens and dozens, hundreds of books written by religious people, religious leaders on the subject of leadership. I belonged, when I first became pastor here at Calvary, to a tape of the month club uh, by a man named John Maxwell. Some of you may have heard of him. I've read dozens of his books and uh, he helped me greatly through that mentoring process of the monthly uh, dates, dates me, doesn't it? Cassette tape, but you couldn't find one of those now, at least not in a store. Uh, and, and the books, leadership is important. Uh, about the same time, right before I left Memphis to come pastor this church, I was introduced to the concept of the Ministry Planning Council. This is uh, something that we instituted early on here. It was in my home church, and that is a council of leaders. That is the department heads. Uh, each department head, it's over the various departments like children's ministry and youth ministry and, and the worship department slash music department and ladies' ministry and all those, putting the leaders of those uh, into a regular monthly or quarterly meeting and, and having sessions where we brainstorm, we read books together, and we talk about how we can win this city and the surrounding area for the Lord. And those planning sessions uh, became a, a part of this and many, many churches across our own fellowship. But I have come to the conclusion over 
the last several years, in fact, over the last five years especially, that revival and harvest does not come through man. It comes only through God. Now, does God use our plan? Sure. Is it okay? Is it right? Is it good to have planning sessions and to make plans for outreach and evangelism and discipling and, and church functions and everything else? Sure it is. I believe in all of that. But when you put that above the foundation of what brings revival, and that is connection with God through prayer, when prayer's not at the top, the most important thing, then the church is going to suffer said the church is going to suffer and not be what God wants it to be. Revival only comes through prayer, but it will absolutely, when revival comes, revolutionize the church. It stirs the congregation. It challenges us and empowers us really to live out in our lives the Christian life that God means for us to. Now, if you're not the outgoing, talkative, gift of gab type kind, then God, you know, isn't going to call you to go downtown or out to Walmart and stand on a soapbox and preach on the parking lot. But he has called every one of us to do something for him. And the thing is, when this church or any church has revival, we'll all be doing that. That's how you know we're in revival, when every saint will be doing what God called them to do. Recently, a Southern California pastor shared uh, this story about his own personal journey. He told about a, a renewing, a revival in his church in uh, California that he serves. And uh, he said this revival made incredible changes in the church. Early prayer meetings following the Korean pattern of morning prayer replaced a cluttered world of purposeless activities. His entire church became permeated with evidence of answered prayer. A new love for Scripture moved like wildfire through the people so that wherever they gather, they apply the meaning of the Bible and discuss the Bible, applying it to their lives. A changed, energetic worship atmosphere became so common that parishioners sang with meaning and passion the pastor's sermons had a new passion and vitality. Now listen to this. I'm going to read this straight from this article that this pastor, these are his words, said. No one can explain the amazing change. Are you listening? Is everybody listening right now? Please listen. Because the church, no one can explain the amazing change because the church has the same preacher. <clears throat> The same songs, well, the same meeting time, the same worshipers, and the same sanctuary. You see, it's happening in this church and every other church that I know of. I've got a network of friends around the country. Anytime a church falls below really what it should be and people recognize that, people have suggestions, some they bring to the pastor and some they don't. They talk about it behind his back and say he ought to do this and that without coming and telling him. But either way, people have the suggestions of changing everything from the preacher to the worship songs to the church service times to the sanctuary itself, the location. Now, 
That's not to say that sometimes the change of those things is not the will of God, because it is at times. But changing those things for the cause of improving the church, just on per se of say, let's try it without God ordaining it and making it happen, is totally wrong. Well, there was three amens, but if I ever said a true statement, I just said it. He went on to say, holy living has become the routine practice of many people in the church. The pastor suggested, my people often say the early church must have been a lot like the present environment in our church. How does revival revolutionize a church? Extraordinary prayer is activated. That's number one. Evangelists and devotional writers, that means people who write Christian books for Christians to read, are not agreed on whether prayer brings renewal or whether renewal brings new power in prayer. It's like the chicken or the egg question, and I would go along with that. Uh, But either way, genuine, genuine revival always brings with it the component of extraordinary prayer. Supernatural prayer. I don't think, by way of applying this to this local church, I don't think that it's any coincidence that the Lord had me wait until this year to give a six-month or more long series study on Wednesday night on the importance of praying in the Spirit. Holy Ghost prayer in tongues because it is powerful, the most powerful kind of prayer you can pray. I believe God's getting this church ready for something, and that was a part of it. People who pray this kind of prayer stay until they know they have communicated with God, and they depart from the place of prayer fully aware that they have had an audience with the king of the universe. Folks, this kind of prayer is the closest extraordinary prayer including prayer in the Spirit, is the closest you will ever get to God on this planet, in this life. And if you want to get close to God, just as close as you can, and that's what happens when revival hits a church. It happens to most everybody. That's how it's going to happen. Meanwhile, one author here says, it seems that the church really does not pray. The prayer, James said in chapter 5, of a righteous man, and we're righteous not by virtue of ourselves, of anything we do, we're made righteous by him, amen, of a righteous man or woman is effectual and fervent, and it avails much, amen. Another thing that happens to a church in revival is sin becomes very important. Our world is full of sin. Our world is saturated with sin. In fact, there is so much sin in every part of our society and culture, especially in this country that we live in. I don't know exactly how it is in other countries, but I know it's got to be close to the same. In America, you can't step outside your front door. You can't turn on a television set or computer or any electronic device, including your phone, without being just inches away from being inundated by sin. I'm so thankful that the the Bible says where sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. If it weren't for that fact, you and I would, we'd have no hope. 
living for God in this present environment of our society. But as the devil gets stronger and sin gets greater, God's church is supposed to get greater. But we are, we are finding ourselves, and I'm talking about all of the church, the apostolic ranks uh, of, of the church of Jesus Christ. We are finding now that the closer we get to the end of this and, and the closer we get to when God's going to wrap all this up, that both sides are going to fight harder. That happens many times in earthly war. The closer it gets to the end, Usually one side realizes that it's close to the end, and so they start fighting harder. Well, the devil's already doing that. We have got to step up and match that by fighting harder. Spiritual warfare in prayer and fasting and the Word of God being used as the sword of the Spirit and and, and sowing the seed of the Word of God in the lives of people. So as that happens, sin becomes more revered, not reverenced as we think of respecting but a healthy respect in understanding really what it is and and what it does and the devastating effects it can have on us when we allow it in our lives and the devastating terrible effect it has on the lives of people in the world that we know and love and even those we don't know sin absolutely will wreck Homes, families, lives, and eternities. And so the more a church becomes what God wants it to be and is revived to that point, the more the church will understand that sin like cancer requires a radical surgery if a person or if a church is going to experience spiritual health. The more you respect sin and understand it for what it is, the more you will be motivated to pray for those people that you know that are lost in sin. So a healthy respect for sin being really what it is. The remedies for it are the same as what they've always been. Intercessory prayer by everybody who cares about the spiritual well-being of their church and the people that they know that are in sin. Another thing that happens in revival is miracles are experienced. Now this has been debated among scholars in Christianity, especially among people who don't have their miraculous flow of the Holy Ghost uh, the way we do, the way they did in the Bible with the flow of the Spirit and uh, the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Uh, People who are out there who don't have that experience debate it. But but generally among Spirit-filled people, most of us agree that miracles are still part of the church today. At least they're supposed to be. There's a difference. When revival comes to a group, To an individual, to a church, miracles happen, just like it did in the New Testament church. And uh, it is, is something that I believe God is wanting to bring and restore to his church in America today. I didn't preach that message a week ago Sunday just because it it sounded good to me to preach. I preached it because I believe it was from God. But here's the thing. One pastor said, don't expect miracles until you have gone way beyond your own resources. God doesn't waste the supernatural on what you can do on your own. And I agree with that. That's why it seems that uh, we may not not really um, 
be motivated to pray, some of us, some churches, maybe this church, I don't know, be motivated to pray the way we're going to have to pray to have revival and harvest until circumstances warrant that. The more desperate you are, the more motivated you are to pray. And uh, the world's getting worse. The world's getting worse every day. Calvary, I want us to anticipate revival. I really want us to. I believe that it's God's will. What's the first step? You already know what it is. You've heard this preacher say it so many times. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, If my people, big if, it's in capital letters at the beginning, who are called by my name, will do certain things. Here's what they are. First, humble themselves. You have to humble yourself first to realize that you're not where you need to be, that your church is not where it ought to be. Humble themselves. That will lead you to pray. It has to begin with prayer. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What's the big then? T-H-E-N, then God says, I will hear from my heaven and I will forgive. That's the first order. Forgive their sin, and then we'll heal their land. You know, there's a lot of talk uh, in the church today, both in the apostolic church and in the rest of Christianity, about revival and uh, how much it's needed, especially as our world gets worse and worse. Um, And I read one definition that said, revival is something that nobody can explain, but everyone recognizes when it's needed And when it gets there. And I would agree with that. A man by the name of Dr. Armin Geswin saw revival this way. Quote, the revival we need is simply a return to normal New Testament Christianity. Where the churches are full of prayer, full of power, full of people, full of praise, full of divine happenings all the time. Wow, that says it all right there, doesn't it? We want something normal, he went on to say. Not just special. God's normal, that is. And God's normal is greater than most of everything that we can put together on our own. I want to close by bringing you some very important concepts about revival that I want this church to begin anticipating like we never have before. First of all, revival isn't a process that we can use to manipulate God. Revival belongs to God. God owns the church and God owns revival. And I've talked about this a little bit already, but I want to reiterate it. You cannot plan revival. You cannot plan a true revival, but you can seek it. There are those in this church in the past who have said, To have revival or harvest, whatever you want to call it, to grow, we've got to get in the planning room and come up with events and activities and social things and ways to reach the community, reach the lost. And I agree with that 100%, but that that planning and that, that coming up with those things, which God wants to happen, was not predicated there, there, there have been people in this church who didn't understand that, leaders who didn't understand that. It, it's all useless without the foundation of prayer, right. much prayer, sincere prayer, heavy prayer, the groaning, intercessory kind of prayer. Without that, it's not going to happen. 
I have found that God initiated, God ordained, God given revival follows this pattern. And I'm coming to a close. Here's how it happens. Number one, the people pray. Number two, God comes. Number three, the people repent. And I'm not saying that everybody's living in deep, dark sin. I'm not saying anybody in this church as your pastor is doing that. But we are below God's normal. There are some people in this church that don't pray the way they should. They don't have the prayer life they should. There are some people in this church who let the cares of life supersede and drown out the spiritual things in life. There are people who don't come to church like they ought to. I'm not telling you anything new in these last three or four statements I've just made. This church needs revival. It needs sparking and set on fire, and it needs to burn for Jesus. And it's obvious because if you look at the fruit of this whole church taken into into one picture, it's obvious to anybody who's got half a spiritual mind. Okay? So... That's what we need to repent of. People need to repent of whatever it is, of not being the on fire, dedicated, given to God first kind of Christian that God wants all of us to be. And wherever that's not happening, we need to repent. Somebody say amen. Amen. Next, number four, God revives the people. The Holy Ghost winds blow. Things start to happen. Things pick up. The anointing falls more often and richer. God floods our services more. More people start showing up in prayer meetings. People start coming to the pastor and say, let's do that and this and that and that. Spiritual activities and prayer and and reaching for people. And and, and could could the men get together for a prayer group on Saturday night uh, once a month? Or could could the ladies do this or whatever? Spiritual things. Now, this is not planning in a a leadership meeting somewhere. Uh, What can we do to make people be more spiritual and do what they... No, this is God generated ideas that he's putting into the hearts of people spontaneously and it happens that's what happens when God revives the people number five the people begin to minister to and pour their lives into others and this is what being a part of God's army is all about and I've taught about this many times everybody should be involved in ministry I've come to the conclusion and I still say things that will make you think, Pastor, are you sure you've, you, you've reached that conclusion? You're still doing some of the things. You're still saying some of the things you used to say. You've said for 29 years. I've come to the conclusion that I can't make a single person who's not tithing tithe by preaching about it. Preaching about it and teaching about it is necessary. It's needful. God wants me to do it. But that only serves to remind people what they already know. And it may help someone who's forgetful or... Uh, That's going to affect very few people who are not tithing and giving according to God's plan in the Bible. I've come to the conclusion that I can't can't make people come to church more, those that don't come like they should, by preaching about it and getting on to them in service. Well, you did that just three weeks ago. Yeah, I'm human. I'm flesh. Now, I pray before every service, God, don't let anything come out of my mouth when I'm in that microphone that you don't want. To come out of my mouth. But my flesh still gets in the way sometimes. You know that. But I'm not going to preach or teach. 
or say anything in this microphone or from this pulpit that's going to make anybody start coming to church more than what they already are. I've come to the conclusion I'm not going to get a single more person to join our army of prayer warriors who are faithful and come every Monday night to Monday night prayer than what's already coming just by getting on to people or tell them that's what you ought to do, even though that's what most people in this church ought to do. Some can't because of scheduling or age. But there's, there's several people who could come. Would it be a sacrifice? Sure. But you know what? When you're living for God the way you ought to do, it's not a sacrifice to do those things. It's a joy. So I can't, as a pastor, make people go out and witness and invite people to church. I can't make people come to the altar and pray by getting on to them for not doing so. I get, again, I get grieved in my spirit when people sit here during altar service like a, a knot on a log, when people are in this altar praying, and, and everybody ought to be up here praying with them, if not with them, at least behind them. Yes, amen. Very least they ought to be doing. I, I can't make anybody do that. But I'll know this church is having revival and is approaching and becoming what God wants it to be, the church that he wants to be when all of those things start happening by everybody. But it's a God thing. God has to bring it. I've even asked God, I said, God, do you want this church to have revival or have you passed us over? God does that sometimes. Biblical precedent for that. I don't think that's the case. Don't believe it's the case. God hadn't told me that's the case. So until he tells me otherwise, I'm going to keep pushing for it, believing for it, and preaching it, and teaching it, and most of all, praying for it, and begging people to help me pray for it. Next thing that happens is God equips and empowers us to make up the difference, things we cannot do with our talent and our ability. See, that's what happened. The church world, the... the, the all of Christianity about 30 years ago entered this thing called Christian leadership and got on the bandwagon and church growth. And leadership and especially church growth became the buzzword in all of Christianity. And we apostolics fell for that. And church growth is something that's necessary. Church growth is what God wants. But, 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 but people who weren't inspired by the Holy Ghost, people who didn't even have the Holy Ghost wrote books, and we read, apostolics read those books, and so many of us apostolics fell into the trap that we could generate church growth through ideas that we come up with or that I read in a book somewhere. I can't tell you how many church growth books I've read over the last 30 years, and people, leaders in this church that brought me church growth books, and I read them and devoured them, and we tried all that stuff. And you know what? That didn't work, and it never will because revival comes only from God through prayer. Finally, number seven, God gives a harvest. That's how you know the church has finally reached a state of revival that is at the apex of God's will. Amen. It's when we have the harvest that God wants to give himself through his church. That God wants to give his church. That is the influx musicians which have come of people, new people, lost souls being saved. 
Not just in this room, in this building. Many of them, yes, being baptized in that baptistry, but receiving the Holy Ghost in Walmart, at the gym, in the aisle at Kroger. That can happen. Somebody, you can be witness to somebody in Kroger and tears come to their eyes. And if they're ready for the harvest in their life personally to take place, they could get the Holy Ghost right there in the aisle at Kroger. I'll talk about the laws of the harvest and especially pertaining to the spirit realm and, and the church. They're not like some of you think they are. Not everybody that walks through the door of this church for the first time is able or ready to go to the altar that first service and get the Holy Ghost. And we do them a disservice by trying to pray them through to the Holy Ghost, their first service, with some people. Now with others, that's the case. We must be spiritually discerning and spiritually intellectual and and wise, the Bible says, as serpents but harmless as doves when it comes to dealing with people with the harvest. We'll talk about that next time. God gives a harvest. Revival can come. Here's the bottom line. I'll repeat it again as we stand together. Would you stand with me? But it all begins with prayer. Amen. Only God can save this country and the condition it's in. How many believe that tonight? And it's time for it to get started. It's time for us to get started. We've got to pray. Now, I don't know how long we'll have to pray, but God will always answer a prayer for revival. There are people that have been saved through waves of revival that this church has had since my ministry began here that really the seed was sown and especially the seed of intercessory prayer that was prayed in years long before I showed up. And I'm sure that the prayer that we pray in this church and have been praying, some of it we will not recognize until years after some of us are gone. But we have to remember it's not our church. All souls are mine, God said. This church belongs to Him. The people belong to Him. The lost belongs to Him. Let's end this service by praying, God help us to do what it's going to take to have revival and anticipate it not just by having a desire but doing what's necessary getting involved in prayer like never before for God to have his way in this church God we need you we need you so desperately we can do nothing without you you are everything God you own everything not just in this world physically but in the spirit realm and the lives of people that you've populated this planet earth with down through the last several thousand years those that seven billion plus people that inhabit it today they all belong to you but they're not all on their way to heaven they're not all interested in entering into that relationship with you that you created them for and Lord we may not can save this whole planet we can't save anybody but we can be instrumental in your hands in your saving those around us and those whose lives you want us to be involved in and those whose lives, wherever they may be, that you want us to pray for. In the name of Jesus, use this church according to your will. Revive us, we pray, in the midst of the years, your word says. Send a mighty revival, just as you promised in your word. Let our hearts
hearts be stirred and the fires begin to burn. Let the Holy Ghost, God, move upon us. Let it take control of us and this church like never before. Send a new vision for the young and the old. In the midst of your people, God, send a mighty revival, we pray. According to your will, we pray. And Lord, this is only because of you and your grace, and that's the only way it's going to happen. It's not me, it's not this people, it's not this church, it's not anything or anybody but you and you alone. And so we give you all the honor for it, that which you're going to do in this place and beyond. In the future, we give you all the praise for it, all the glory and all the honor. We thank you for the past and the great things you've done. But I know that greater things are in store than the past has ever exposed or seen. Whatever you choose to do according to your will, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Praise God. God bless you tonight. I love you. I think you're a great group of people to have revival for and with. Let's see God do it in us and through us together. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Don't forget, Sunday, pre-service prayer at 1230. Sunday school at 1 o'clock. Worship at 2. Bring somebody. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.